understanding the message that you have to share and trying to stay on message and on brand can really help you find your niche. You know, growing your brand is not about being all things to all people. It's about being an expert to a very small group of people who are passionate and share the same passions that you have. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Care Frontiers podcast, the show where we bring healthcare professionals to share with us their own experience running a successful medical business. Joining me today, the founder of Omega Ophthalmics and a physician at Commonwealth Eye Surgery Center, Dr. Gary Wartz. Doc, welcome to our show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share some experience, perspectives, and uh, hopefully it'll be a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. So, Doc, before we get a little bit into the, the content and, uh, and the actual uh, questions we have, uh, tell us a little bit more about your background and how it all led to what you're doing right now. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me again. Uh, my name is Dr. Gary Wirtz. I'm a cataract and refractive surgeon by day in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, so I, I generally focus on cataract surgery, refractive cataract surgery with femtosecond lasers, and uh, LASIK and, and uh, corneal refractive surgery. Uh, so that's my that's my practice, and uh, we run a very busy practice. So we're uh, you know very very busy taking care of patients. But uh, after hours, I do um, function as a co-founder and uh, operator and chief medical officer at Omega Ophthalmics. So um, I would say that my background is uh, maybe a little unconventional. I grew up in a in a very rural area in Michigan. Um, I grew up uh, around great people, but uh, very rural. So I, I grew up on a farm, uh, was used to working with my hands, running heavy equipment from tractors to bulldozers and, you know, taking care of a lot of farm animals. So I, I grew up always loving to be outdoors and working with my hands. And um, interestingly, when you're in an environment like that, <clears throat> you have to problem solve. Uh, there's always equipment breaking down. There's always a, a new challenge that has to be met. And so I always really enjoyed um, working with my father and my grandfather um, on the farm and, and learning to problem solve, lear learning to diagnose a problem, and then uh, finding a creative and simple solution. And, you know, from there, I went to college, um, you know, decided to be a chemistry major. I always really enjoyed the sciences and also I just felt a knack for chemistry. I loved chemistry. Um, and then through medical school, I, again, I, I decided that I wanted to be a doctor, went to medical school. And I guess from working on the farm and, and what I had seen, I, I really wanted to work with my hands again. So I knew somewhere uh, I, wanted, I wanted to be a surgeon of some sort and uh, really fell in love with microsurgery. So it was kind of between plastic surgery and, uh, and ophthalmology. But the quality of life benefits I saw with ophthalmology patients, particularly cataract patients, I mean, it just made me fall in love with ophthalmology. And, and I was hooked. Once I saw my first cataract surgery, I really knew that's what I was called to do. That's what I wanted to do uh, with my life. And I just, it never gets old helping someone regain their sight. It is really um, an amazing thing. And even doing it at a high volume and doing a lot of surgeries, um, it's still a unique challenge uh, each case. And uh, I really love it. It's a passion of mine. So I'm lucky I get to you know, be employed doing something I'm passionate about. 
That's really interesting, Doc, because you mentioned uh, you are uh, actually have a medical device startup called Omega Ophthalmics while working on Commonwealth uh, eye surgery. Uh, how do you juggle between the, the business side and uh, the clinical side? As you know, medical professionals are less in tune with the business side of things and more focused on the clinical aspect. How can practitioners shift gears towards the business side of things while staying on top at their role as a practitioners? Yeah, I, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't necessarily think of myself as any more adept at the business side, or at least I don't think I have any natural skills that would lead me that direction. Um, but the reason I started Omega Ophthalmics was I saw an unmet need. Um, I saw that cataract patients who I took care of, um, from time to time, um, the lens we implant let's say, for example, is the wrong power. So, you know, they wanted to be free of glasses and now uh, the lens power ended up being incorrect or not functional for the patient and they have to wear glasses. Or there's some visual side effects from, let's say, a multifocal lens and, and those patients really can't deal with those. So they feel like in certain lighting conditions, et cetera, um, they're, they're un, unable to drive or perform activities of daily living. So, there are, there are certain scenarios in cataract surgery where being able to take a lens out and replace it with either a different power or different style lens is, is really needed. And the problem is there really isn't a great way of doing that after the early uh, post-operative period. So, you know, you can take a lens out fairly routinely within about six months, but after, you know, a year, especially and beyond, um, it really becomes difficult. So, I saw this as an unmet need. I had a pretty good idea how to solve the problem. And so I really just kind of took a bet on myself. And I said, you know, I'm a problem solver. Um, I don't have to solve the whole problem, but I can, I can take one step at a time. And so I started taking steps towards, um, you know, creating a patent, um, forming a company. And that's, I think the key at su to success, not only in medicine, but in, in business and probably in life is really understanding what you are good at and what you aren't good. At. And since I, I, I knew pretty clearly that I did not understand the, the business side of, of running a startup, um, I understood the, the science pretty well, I felt. So I recruited a CEO. I recruited uh, someone that I knew uh, locally who had a lot of experience running startups. And I partnered with him. And it's really through that partnership. His name is Rick Ifland. And he is um, a professor of business and entrepreneurship at Westmont University um, in Santa Barbara, California. And he is um, a serial entrepreneur. He's been very successful. And so it really has been my understanding of what I'm not good at and trying to fill that, fill those gaps with other people that has really been the key to, I think, uh, running a, a successful business. So it's not that I or, or any one person has to be, you know, knowledgeable about everything. You just need to know what you're not good at and find someone who can compliment you. I really like what you did there because uh, a problem I see when I talk uh, to my clients and uh, most of my clients are medical professionals is that uh, when I uh, when they try to, let's say, outsource uh, something else, let's say related to their business, they feel that they, they have to do these things themselves and make it perfect. Uh, slow acceptance when it comes to uh, outsourcing and uh, I think acknowledging and uh, making, let's say, peace with yourself that you're not good at something and you should, let's say, trust others and uh, outsource the work is something is key to success, like, like what you just said. So 
aside from that, to transition uh, a little bit towards uh, the branding side of things and the, the marketing and doc, some of the uh, medical professionals, when introduced to something like uh, personal branding, let's say, they think that it's just about creating this uh, fake persona or manufactured image can you give us your thoughts on personal branding and how it can benefit the healthcare professionals yeah i think that you know personal branding is just that it's really branding who you are um if you want to stand out you really have to be the best version of yourself um no one can compete with who you are at your core because you're the only one who is like you, you're, you're unique. Um, so um, I think Naval, I don't know if you've heard the Naval podcast, but that's one of my, he's one of my favorite gurus, um, Naval Radikant. He has a podcast um, and he, he makes this point that, you know, if you're trying to be like everyone else, then you are really r- running a race that you can't win because it's really hard to be, you know, inauthentic and good at it. But if, if you understand who you are and the things that you are uniquely gifted and good at, and, and, and you know how to build a brand around those things, then you don't have to worry necessarily about curating special content or building an image. Um, sure, you want to still be selective with what you share and the things that you, um, you know, brought broadcast into the world because you want it to be on brand and, and add value to people. But I think that building a personal brand is, is really as easy as being honest. But I mean, again, that's kind of hard also. It's not, it's easier said than done. But, you know, for example, I know what I like. I like doing cataract surgery. I like thinking about outcomes. I like thinking about making things better. And I like building simple solutions to complex problems. At my core, every project I've ever done that I've been engaged and really interested in has been surrounding built, finding a complex problem, thinking about it deeply and building a, a simple solution for that problem that I can share with everyone. Um, Omega Ophthalmics is one example. Um, I've recently built an online um, arcuate incision calculator for cataract surgeons using femtosecond lasers uh, along with Priya Gupta. And we published a paper on improved outcomes. And we didn't want to just you know, show how we could improve outcomes. We wanted to give a tool um, free online for others to use that same formula um, so they could also get those good outcomes. And that's freely available online at uh, lricalc.com. And, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten over 1600 new users last week, and we've done over 4,000 calculations so far. So, you know, again, it's really for me, if, if I'm thinking about my personal brand, there are things I will say yes to if it's along the lines of, can I help a company like consulting, for example, I do some consulting. I take projects where I feel like I can add value if there's an unmet need um, that's really discussing a, a complex problem. I don't enjoy just promoting, for example, I don't know that I'm a good promotional person. I don't know that I'm really good at giving talks about things that are, are more uh, promotional. I enjoy education. I love problem solving. Occasionally, I will do some promotional things on things I'm on uh, new solutions or new pro- uh, products I'm really passionate about and, and love using. But I know that's not my main, um, I guess, center of, of what I'm really uh, called to do and feel um, excited about. So, uh, Doc, 
while we're on the subject on on personal branding and uh, branding overall do you have any tips or let's say some some ways that medical professionals can grow their brand and build awareness around it well i think there's some building blocks that everyone should should consider um, those building blocks obviously would be would include you know making sure your online presence um, is um, you know up to par I would consider um, social media. Uh, there's some pros and cons of that for medical professionals. Um, I think we've seen some backlash for um, maybe some unprofessional behavior. For example, people uh, dancing in the operating room. Uh, obviously, those are some some big um, no-nos from a, a professionalism standpoint. Um, but I've, you know, I think I think it really just depends on what each physician feels comfortable with sharing. I've seen some uh, fellow physicians um, be very open. Um, sharing photos of their family, sharing photos of their personal life and connecting with other people on Instagram, for example, and just being very transparent. I don't necessarily feel as comfortable with that because I'm a little bit more of a private person. Um, I don't necessarily like exposing my family and, and um, you know, to that side of things. So I think there's going to be a spectrum of, of comfort level that people have. But I do think that transparency is 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 a is a good thing, as I said before, being authentic. And then I also think that, and I'm learning this, so I don't say I don't I'm not necessarily perfect at this. But people, for example, on Twitter, that's my main um, social media outlet. Uh, you can follow me at Cataract MD. Um, but most of the people who follow me and most of the people I follow are ophthalmologists or people who are in the ophthalmology industry. Um, but, you know, occasionally I might like to send a tweet about U University of Kentucky basketball because I love Kentucky basketball. But, you know, most of my followers don't really want to see or read Kentucky basketball tweets from me. They're, they have followed me because they want to hear what I have to say about ophthalmology. So, you know, you have to understand why someone is following you on social media, what your brand is. And you want to stick to that brand. So if you're if you're littering someone's Twitter feed with, you know, random videos of cats or you know basketball, uh, you know, hot takes or even you know getting political, those things can sometimes turn followers off. And so I think understanding the message that you have to share and trying to stay on message and on brand can really help you find your niche um, because really it's not, you know, growing your brand is not about being all things to all people. It's about being an expert to a very small group of people who are passionate and share the same passions that you have. So really understanding what message you have to deliver and who your audience is will help you stay on brand. I really like your last point. It's really not about being uh, everything to all people. It's just about focusing the brand and niching down on something on, on or on audience that you really want to reach. So, right. And that's just to be, just to finish that point, you know, that's why my Twitter handle is cataractmd. It it really to me was the simplest way to communicate. If you want to hear about cataract surgery, if you're interested in cataract surgery, I'm the guy to follow because that is the thing that I'm most passionate about professionally. And so, you know, it, it, even in my Twitter handle, it is telling and communicating a message of what you're going to be receiving if you follow. Of course, the links are in the show notes. If you're listening out now, just head over the show notes and you found all the links of uh, Dr. Gary Ward. So, uh, doc, uh, I, 
I've listened to one of your, your episodes on a on and in terms of marketing, I think I I know that you're big on building relationships with the with medical professionals as a way to expand your network and uh, increase, let's say, referral sources. So, Doc, can you tell us a little bit more about networking and some of the tips that you might give to professionals right now? Yeah, I mean, ophthalmology is very interesting because we have um, other. Um, eye care professionals, physicians in optometrists. And, you know, in our area, you know, we, we benefit from a lot of those referrals, you know, so we maintain really good relationships with um, optometrists in our area. We have a very strong um, relationship with them and we've really benefited. And I think it's been a mutual benefit. They've, they've benefited from, you know, the, the good care we've been able to provide. And I think they've uh, you know, and, and we've been you know, the benefit from having a steady referral source. Um, so I think it's natural to to find the people or the other physicians or practitioners in your area who uh, they need an easy button. They need someone that they can rely on, that they know that they're going to get a good quality outcome, that their patients they refer are going to be treated with respect and care, and that um, you're there for them, not just for the the high dollar referral potential, but also you'll take the 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 indigent patient, or you'll extend a helping hand if, if it's a difficult case. So um, I think that, you know, and that's really about building trust. It's, it really can't be a transactional relationship. It really has to be about um, that other referral source, understanding that you are a trustworthy person, that you will do what you say, that you'll go above and beyond to take care of their patient. So I think that the most important part of networking is building trust um, because really be, if you don't have that, you know, if you were relying on someone to, uh, for example, introduce you to someone that you want to know um, and, and sort of tap into their network, it really depends on how much they trust you as to what extent they will uh, extend their network to you. So that's where I think a lot of times people go wrong with trying to um, expand their network too fast um, trying to be friends with everybody. And it's not that you shouldn't be open to being friends with everybody, but it is something where you want to take a stepwise approach. And it's probably better to have a few deep relationships with people that they they really know you and you're really tapped in where you would share your your you know network with them and they would share theirs with your with with you. So I think it's it should be a stepwise approach. Um, and, and there's really two sides of this. One side is building a, a network of people who can support your local business. So referral sources in your local area. And then in my world, it's really about connecting with other ophthalmologists who are really at the top of their game. So some of the top ophthalmologists in the world um, are part of, for example, a Vanguard Ophthalmology Society or Cedars Aspen's um, uh, society. And these are sort of fraternity sororities um, of um, some of the top, like I said, top ophthalmologists. And, you know, being invited into that group is a high honor and it, and it is a, you know, invitation only kind of thing. But, but when you, when you show yourself to be trustworthy, when you show yourself to be someone who's not about yourself, but really more about helping other people, that's the kind of person that you want to invite into your network. You don't want to invite someone in who is going to, you feel they're going to just want to take, take, take. You really want to invite someone in who has something to offer, um, who is trustworthy, and um, someone that you would enjoy being around. So I think that when you're thinking about networking and being, um, 
you know, trying to grow your brand, grow your network, grow your, your status, perhaps it really, you really have to become the kind of person that um, can add value to a conversation, to another company, to another colleague. And the only thing you can really control is really being the kind of person that other people would want to invite in. If you do that and you're at least somewhat putting yourself out there in conversations or maybe online discussions or other things and occasionally ask for um, some opportunities, if you're the kind of person and if you've done the work on yourself to be the kind of person that others want to be around, it's almost like magic. The help just comes. The networks open up. If you're approaching networking from the side of how much can I get from that relationship, you're just going to hit, you're going to run into a brick wall each time. I really like the point about trust I, and I really want to double down on trust creation because uh, especially in the, in the healthcare sphere, trust plays a bigger role as the decision of referring patients or making, let's say, partnership is a big decision and it requires a lot of uh, a lot of trust between the two uh, partners. So, so Doc, Having years worth of experience at this point in your journey, what are you tired of, let's say, in the ophthalmology industry and what are you most excited about? You know, I, I think that the thing that's difficult is seeing really advanced technologies getting approved in, in other countries um, for a long time and just waiting for them to come to the United States. Um, you know, our, our colleagues in Europe and around the world commonly will have um, years worth of experience using, you know, higher technology. And we're just jealous. <laughs> we're jealous of, <laughs> um, you know, the access they have to those technologies. So that's something that I think the FDA is working on and, and they're, they're doing the best they can. They, they are a little bit conservative, but you know, that's actually been helpful in some cases. So I can't fault them for it, but it is something that, you know, I wish sometimes we had, you know, access to different technology. Um, so I'll just, I'll probably just leave that at that. You know, we, we, we are jealous sometimes of the technology in, in other countries. <laughs> um, the, the, the things I'm excited about are really some, some breakthroughs in ophthalmology that I think are really going to be foundational changes uh, in the way we, we approach disease process. Um, I'm really excited about electronics going inside the eye. And I know that sounds like, you know, cyborg technology, <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of disease processes, for example, glaucoma, where, you know, we don't know what the patient's pressure is in between visits. So we might check their pressure. Uh, glaucoma is a, a degenerative process of the optic nerve that's typically caused by high pressure. There's some other things that are involved, but suffice it to say, it's kind of like hypertension of the eye. So we check the pressure, we treat the pressure, and we check them maybe three to four months later. Well, we know that um, the pressure fluctuates throughout the day. Some people have normal pressure uh, during the day and it goes up at night or it drops at nighttime. So there's a lot of variability. And so having continuous telemetry where we're monitoring intraocular pressure would be a real game changer for um, understanding glaucoma better and understanding the disease process, understanding uh, compliance, because a lot of patients only take their drops, it seems, uh, the day or two before they come to see us. So, you know, a lot of times <clears throat> patients may be progressing and their, their glaucoma and optic nerve damage is getting worse and we're not understanding why, because it looks like their pressure is um, at target, but maybe they're not taking their drops in the uh, intervening time. So <clears throat> I'm really excited about um, electronics inside the eye, being able to help monitor disease processes. 
uh, especially glaucoma. I'm also really excited about drug delivery systems inside the um, macular degeneration. Uh, the wet version is um, being treated very successfully with anti-VEGF therapies such as uh, Lucentis. And there is some drug depot um, technologies that are being developed and actually being um, rolled out right now <clears throat> that uh, you know really extend the amount of time between injections. So it's in the past, patients have been able to go you know a month or so between injections. ILEA is a little bit more. You can go maybe two to three months. But you know that means that someone's with with this disease process has to get an, an injection in their eye every month, or they go blind, and that's just not a great. It's not a great way to, to uh, live your life. So some of these um, drug depot um, systems look really exciting. There's also some drug delivery or long um, time release drug um, implants for glaucoma also, which are really exciting. And so um, I think that the eye is such an interesting place for drug delivery to work. Um, I think that once we figure all that out, um, it's really going to change something I'm also very... That sounds very futuristic. <laughs> Doc, <laughs> yes. uh, Doc uh, to close this off, uh, any takeaways to share with the listeners? Well, you know, I'm, I'll just apologize. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are, are not interested in ophthalmology, but I will say that, um, you know, in my world, I think that having a network of people you can trust, having... Um, a referral source that is committed to common goals and having a network of, of professionals um, that you can rely on who, who understand the, the shared struggle that you go through, whether that's, you know, going to meetings and, or meeting online or, or even on Twitter and social media, you know, those are the things that beyond just, you know, the patient interaction, you know, those are the things that can really make um, any job in medicine very meaningful. And so I would encourage people to get involved, um, to go to meetings, to make, you know, to make friends, to network uh, organically. And um, I think by doing so, um, you know, there's a lot of burnout in medicine. Not, I don't feel like so much in ophthalmology, at least the, the ophthalmologist that I um, that I know, I feel like we, we do a pretty good job, but even, even still, you know, patients can be difficult. Um, they can, they can really wear on, um, your, um, I guess they can take a little, they can take years off your life depending on, on how you deal with it. But I think having good colleagues you can talk to and you can commiserate and share, you know, war stories, for example, I think those are the things that are, are really good. It, it, it relieves a lot of stress and uh, let you know you're not alone and you're in this, you're in this together. So I really do think you know, making lasting friends uh, through your network is probably my, <laughs> I guess, my number one tip for all. Thank you so much, Dr. Wartz, uh, for taking the time. It's such a pleasure having you here. If you want to reach Dr. Wartz, you can follow him on Twitter, Cataract MD. And if you'd like more of Dr. Wartz, you can tune in to his podca podcast, Ophthalmology of the Grid, and all the links are on the show notes. Uh, Dr. Wartz, you told me before this uh, recording that you have uh, new projects and other projects besides these two. Can you please tell the audience about them? Yeah, um, I've started along with Drs. Priya Gupta and Nathan Radcliffe, a new uh, educational platform for ophthalmologists looking to um, add new skills and new tools to their um, surgical armamentarium. Um, it's called Interventional Mindset. It's available at interventionalmindset.com. 
Uh, we also have a podcast that you can search for on, uh, on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, et cetera, uh, interventional mindset. If you uh, search for that, you'll find it. And it's really for the, uh, the young to mid career ophthalmologist who is uh, interested in, you know, ocular surface disease, cataract surgery, uh, LASIK, and also MIGS or, or microinvasive glaucoma surgeries. Um, it is a uh, wonderful resource with a lot of uh, you know, really groundbreaking content. So we would uh, really appreciate if uh, folks are interested, they could check that out. Um, also, you told me uh, you have uh, a calculator, new calculator. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that too? Yes, I mentioned that briefly earlier, but it's at L-R-I-C-A-L-C-L-R-I-Calc.com. And it is for uh, ophthalmologists who do laser refractive cataract surgery, and uh, it's for correcting astigmatism. So it's available. It's been validated through a peer-reviewed journal. Um, uh, we published through Clinical Ophthalmology. That paper is actually also on, on the, uh, uh, available on the website. Um, but it is a new validated formula that allows for patients to uh, achieve better outcomes. As a matter of fact, um, our paper showed that with using this formula, we got almost a twofold increase in patients who had 20-20 vision after cataract surgery. And so um, really increases the value proposition of doing uh, laser refractive cataract surgery. Uh, all the links, of course, are in the show notes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Dr. Gary Wartz.